Thank you, McGrew. Good morning to everybody. Isn't it great to be together today? I know when we uh, start getting back into warmer weather, it uh, is encouraging to us, but even in the cold, as I said, it's warm in here, and not just because we have heat in the building artificially, but because we're together as the Lord's body. And we're here to be in communion and fellowship and worship God and encourage one another. And that is very, very special indeed. Thankful for all of our visitors today. We appreciate you. We do not take you for granted. You are an honored guest and you are an encouragement to us. And we pray that your time with us will be a great encouragement to you. It's really, if you have any questions about anything you hear us say or see us do, please ask us. We just want to be the church that we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. It's extra special to have Phil Nielsen with us today. Phil, welcome back. And to have his brother with us and his sister Cindy, really a blessing for all of them to be with us today. Blessing for us. And we pray for them as well. We have been looking at faith. And as I said, this is an extensive series that I have prepared and I wanted to bring I really think it's important for us to kind of understand again, study again, over and over again, from time to time, just what faith is, because faith is central to our relationship with God and with Christ and ultimately to our salvation and eternal life. We need to understand faith. We understand, need to understand the depths of faith as much as we can. As I said, in this particular section, of this study, this particular lesson, we're talking about what saving faith is. Now we began by talking about and studying Jesus' words four times when he said, oh you of little faith. And so how much faith is still too little faith? Well here's saving faith. I've said I've broken this into two parts. We looked at the first half of it basically last time and I want us to focus on the second half today. Now in the first half, I wanted to talk about what saving faith is in leading us to salvation. Today I want us to talk about what saving faith is after we have been saved in Christ and after we have taken up that Christian life as a body, as a family member and as part of the body of Christ. Now <clears throat> the New Testament speaks of faith in, in at least three different ways very specific ways, and each, each way that it is used, that term has specific meaning. We need to understand that specific meaning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul said, we walk by faith, not by sight. When he says we walk by faith, he's talking about my personal faith, the faith that is developed within me. We walk by faith, not by sight. In Jude chapter 1 and verse 3, Jude wrote, to the Christians, and he was kind of telling them, I, th I think I need to write these special things or these specific things to you that you may stand strong in the faith. He says, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, he's, again, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, Paul is talking about my personal faith. James is saying you need to contend earnestly for the faith. The faith is that body of knowledge or teaching, basically the gospel, upon which 
my faith is based or from which and through which my faith develops. And then in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, as John was writing this by inspiration, and I believe he was warning the church at that time that maybe already some persecution had broken out against the church, but it was going to get a lot worse and it was going to be very prolonged. And so he, he says, and, and here is something that I want us to blend into in the last part of this verse. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days, 10 days, a full, a full period of time. And then Jesus says, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, faithfulness is my faith put into action on a consistent daily basis through my living by the teachings of the faith, which is God's word. So we walk by faith, not by sight, that's my faith. Contend earnestly for the faith, that's God's word basically, and it is upon that teaching, that body of knowledge and instruction that my faith is based and through which it grows. And my faithfulness is when I put these teachings to practice by my faith on a daily basis and in a consistent and scriptural way. There is no salvation without true faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul reminded Timothy that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And now where does my faith come from? As I've said, it develops as I learn and I understand and I believe the teachings of God's word. So I need to be in his word. In, Timothy, in, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, Paul said, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Or boiled down, as I like to say, faith comes by hearing the word of God. I need to be in God's word because that is the source from which the teaching that God guided the inspired writers to write down so that I could study and learn and through that body of knowledge, I can develop my faith. And my faith can grow stronger and stay strong. And I can put my faith into action through obedience to the teachings that I have come to understand from God's word. Very, very important for me to understand that. Now, true faith Saving faith, and, and again, a lot of people, they have some kind of perception in their mind that, that faith is a feeling. It's warm and fuzzy. I just feel, I, I just, well, that's not what real faith is. Again, faith is based upon the teachings of God's word. Are you studying God's word? That's where faith germinates within us and then grows stronger and remains strong. True saving faith is central to our salvation and includes all of these aspects of faith. My faith, the faith, and faithfulness. All of that blend together to really make up what is true faith. Now, proper faith is absolutely essential to my salvation. Absolutely essential. For me to come to God for salvation through Jesus Christ, I have to have faith. We must believe in God. 
Hebrews 11 and verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who would come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must believe in Jesus as God's Son and our Lord and Savior. Jesus himself said in John 8 and verse 24, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So those are two basic fundamental points of saving faith that are necessary for me to come to salvation through Christ. We also need to understand that I've got to put my faith into action through obedience. We must come to, to God through Christ in faithful obedience according to the teachings of God's word, the Bible, the scriptures. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, we read where Jesus told the apostles to go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes, that's not the end of it, that's not enough by itself, he who believes and is baptized, the obedience has to be there, shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Now, true faith, I need to understand true faith. We begin a new life of consistent faithfulness when I have come to God through Christ in faith, obeying the teachings of how God has instructed me to come to salvation through Christ. I must believe in God, I must believe in Christ, and I must believe, I put that belief into practice, that's my faith through obedience, and that's faithfulness. I learn to have faith through the faith, the teachings of God's word. And so I have obeyed the gospel plan of salvation. I've been baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins. Now I must begin a new life of faithfulness. As Jesus said, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, saving faith is not just becoming saved, not just coming to God through Christ initially, but now saving faith takes on a new dimension. It has to be ongoing. I've got to live the Christian life. I've got to be faithful to God through Christ, living by his teachings for the rest of my life. Saving faith is ongoing. It is not just an initial start, but it is an ongoing lifestyle of faithfulness. Faithfulness. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, again in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, and once more in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, this inspired writers wrote for us and said, the just shall live by faith. Now another way that could be put is the just, that is those who have been justified by God, by their becoming Christians, coming to God through Christ, and having been baptized for the remission of their sins, they must live in faith. So the just shall live ongoing. They've already been justified. They've already been forgiven. They've already been redeemed. They've already been saved as they were baptized into Christ. Now they begin that new life in Christ. They must live by faith. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 20, Paul wrote, uh, well said, because of unbelief they were broken off and you stand 
by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. He's writing this to Christians. You stand by faith. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 24, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. I hope you're getting the understanding. Being, being saved, coming to God through saving faith, being baptized into Christ, being born again spiritually, as Jesus said must happen in John 3, verses 3 through 5, being made new spiritually as the Apostle Paul put it, being made a new creation spiritually, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, that's the beginning point. That's coming out of the starting block, so to speak. Now I'm taking up a new lifestyle. My faith is going to be evidenced in my faithful living for the rest of my life. I'm going to live by the teachings of God's word from here on out until the Lord comes again or until I breathe my last upon this earth. I need to walk by faith. I need to stand by faith. My faith cannot be just a part of my life. My faith needs to be my life. The governing, guiding factor and force in my life. As the Apostle Paul talked about, and you talk about a fellow who made an incredible transition in his life. You talk about doing a 180. He had rejected Christ. He was an enemy of the church. He persecuted Christians, hunted them down, tried to make them blaspheme the name of Christ. And then he recognized his error, and he became a Christian himself. And so here in Galatians 2 and verse 20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live my life by faith in Christ and, of course, also in God. How blessed we are to have his example and to have him write it down. And, of course, God guided him to write that so that we can learn about the transition that God expects of us in our lives as we become Christians and we begin to walk by faith and stand by faith and live in faithfulness. We look in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 again. We walk by faith, not by sight. And verses 14 and 15, they're in that fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians. Notice what Paul writes. The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And... He died for all. He died for all of mankind. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 says that he took upon himself as he hung on that cross the guilt of all the sins of all mankind for all time, including our time right now. He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You know, there are a lot of people out there living in the world today who are living for themselves. Or they're living for some career. They're living for some recreational pursuit, for some social recognition. They're living for things that make them happy from a material perspective. But Paul is saying, when we become a Christian, we no longer live primarily for ourselves. 
we, our life, is now focused on God and Christ, our Savior who died for us. Make it personal. He died for me, and he rose again, demonstrating without question that he is our Savior. Now think about Abraham living by faith. When God called Abraham to begin with, Abraham was about, and he was known as Abram at that time. His wife was known as Sarai. We commonly remember them by the names God changed for them later in their lives, Abraham and Sarah. But what about Abraham? In Romans 4 and verse 3, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Was it just an intellectual belief? Did he just go around saying, oh yeah, I believe in God? No, Abraham put his faith into action. In verse 11, even though he already had faith in God, God said, I want you to do something. I'm going to give you a sign of the covenant between you and me. I want you to be circumcised. And so in verse 11, Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of, of the righteousness of the faith, the teachings of God's word, which he had while still uncircumcised. He already believed in God, but God said, I want you to do something now, and this is going to be a sign of the covenant between us, and it's going to be an evidence of your true faithfulness to me. And Abraham said, okay, God, whatever you want, I'll do that. And then when we look at the promise that God made to Abraham about, I'm going to give you a son, and through his bloodline, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Now that son ultimately would be Isaac, and Isaac would have another son named Jacob, and Jacob would have 12 sons, which would become the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel, and through the bloodline of Israel, being traced all the way back to Abraham and that son of promise, Isaac, the Lord would come into the world in physical form, bring the gospel to all mankind, and so through that bloodline, ultimately, from that physical perspective, all the nations of the earth would have the blessing of having the opportunity to hear, understand, and obey the gospel, the message of salvation unto eternal life. Paul said of Abraham, beginning with verse 18 of Romans chapter 4, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations, According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now when God first called Abraham to go on this mission, he was about 75 years old. Sarah was about 65 years old. She was barren. They had no children. And she was past the age of bearing children. And God said, I'm going to give you a son through whose bloodline nations are going to come. The kings, uh, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. But God waited 25 years before he fulfilled that promise. Leaving absolutely no doubt in Abraham's or Sarah's or anybody else's mind that that blessing of that son of promise that promise being fulfilled through Isaac being born to Abraham and Sarah, that it could have happened 
any other way except then by God's intervention and blessing. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief and was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, that is what God had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. Why was that account of Abraham? Waiting 25 years till he was 100 years old and his wife was 90 years old before God fulfilled the promise of blessing them with a son through whose bloodline the Savior would come into the world. It was written perhaps even more for our learning and our faith than it was for his and Sarah's. How blessed we are to have that account. How blessed we are to have that example. Faith, you see, is not benign. It is actively obedient. We usually probably use that term benign when we have heard someone been, be diagnosed with some kind of, of tumor or mass that the doctor finds within their body through x-rays or some other kind of, 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 of exam. And so it's going to be it's going to go to the proper medical uh, authorities and they're going to diagnose it. They're going to do a, 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 you know, a, an examination of the tumor. And we're hoping, we're praying that we will hear it's benign. It's not cancer. It's something that we can take care of, the doctors can take care of. It's not going to be life-threatening. Faith cannot be benign. Faith has to be active. Faith, real faith, saving faith, has to grow and stay strong. It has to be put into action through obedience and dedication and commitment and service on an ongoing basis all through our life. James wrote in James chapter 2, beginning with verse 20, Do you want to know, a foolish man, that faith without works is dead? See, that's benign faith. He said, that's not going to work. That's dead. Faith without works, faith that is not active, obedient, ongoing, service, serving, dedicated, committed, actively so, it's dead faith. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see then that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, and that belief was accounted to him for righteousness. Why? Because that belief was not benign. His faith was not inactive. His faith was active and obedient on an ongoing basis. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only or just by believing intellectually. Faith is not benign. It is actively obedient, dedicated, serving, committed. When we look at John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus, and a lot of people say, I love the Lord, but they're not obedient to the Lord. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 15, if you, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's active. In verse 21, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, in other words, lives by them, obeys them, it is he who loves me. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and, and, and manifest myself to him. In verse 23, he says again for the third time in a very short text of Scripture, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. In other words, they are not obedient. They may spout a lot of words about how much they love me, but they are not showing that love through their obedience, their faithfulness, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And then John the Apostle wrote in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5. We turn over there, and John wrote along this same line. He said, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. And then in chapter 5, in verse 3, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Over and over again, we read that true faith is active. It is obedient on an ongoing basis. It cannot be passive. It cannot be benign. It has to be put into action through obedience, and that's faithfulness, living by the teachings of the faith. And that's when my faith is really, on an ongoing basis, saving faith. Saving faith. Well, the scriptures are plain that our faith has to be active. I have to live my life for God. It has to be on an ongoing basis. True faith will lead you to come to God for salvation through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The saving part, that's God's job. By grace, he saves us. The faith part is our responsibility. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Developing faith in God and Christ I've got to get into God's word, Romans 10 and verse 17. I've got to study his word so that I can know the basis upon which my faith should be developing and growing stronger and stronger. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, Hebrews 11 and 6. I must have faith in Christ as the Savior in order to come to God through him for salvation. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins, Jesus said. John 8 and verse 24. Again, faith comes by hearing the word of God. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, true faith, saving faith, is going to lead us to repent of our sins. Jesus said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Saving faith is going to lead us to confess our faith in Christ as God's Son and our Lord and Savior openly. The Apostle Paul wrote, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saving faith is going to lead me to be baptized into Christ, Romans 6 and verse 3. Do you not know that so many of us as were baptized into Christ, baptized into Christ, understand that that's how, the, how I come into Christ and the only way I can come into Christ? We're baptized into his death. And saving faith is going to 
lead me to understand that as I am baptized into Christ, that is for an additional purpose that is absolutely essential to my salvation. I need to be forgiven of my sins. And so Ananias, sent by the Lord himself to teach Saul of Tarsus, who would later become the Apostle Paul as he became a Christian, Ananias said to him, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. As I'm baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins, I call on the name of the Lord through that act of obedience. That's saving faith. That's how I come to salvation. But that's not where saving faith ends. That's not all that saving faith is. I also need to understand that true saving faith will guide me to live in active, obedient, dedicated faithfulness on a consistent basis for the rest of my life. Oh yes, those early Christians were warned, tough times are coming. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil will throw some of you into prison for ten, uh, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. That faithfulness is the continuation of saving faith. And we might say ultimately the culmination on a personal basis of what real saving faith is. If you need to act upon your faith in God and in Christ as your savior and come to God through Christ, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The apostles said, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you need to come for that salvation through Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in him, and surrendering to him in baptism to come into him where forgiveness is extended and salvation is granted, we encourage you to take that step. If you need to talk, if you need to study some more, please talk to us before you leave today. If you need the prayers of the church for whatever reason, please step forward or talk to us privately so we can pray with you and for you. God sent his son into this world that you might have faith, that you might have faith to be saved and live in faithfulness so that you might have eternal life with him in heaven. If you need to come, come right now as we stand and sing.